1: Megan's half-siblings are at it again.
2: Harry and William face off with their critics.
1: And Prince Charles is caught up in yet another charity scandal.
2: I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal
1: correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And
2: this is Newsweek's Royal Report.
1: Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners, and hello, Prince George, who is now nine years old. We have a lot of juicy headlines this week, starting with the eternal thorns in Meghan's side. I'm talking about her half-siblings, who've more or less turned destroying Meghan's good name into a full-time job.
2: That's right, and let's begin with her half-sister, Samantha. As listeners of the show know, Samantha filed a lawsuit against Meghan in March 2022, claiming a number of things she said in her now infamous Oprah interview are false, including her assertion that she was raised as an only child and that Samantha changed her last name back to Markle when Meghan began dating Harry. Uh, The lawsuit also included a whole raft of other claims um, that Samantha deemed defamatory, including relating to the book Finding Freedom. Uh, Which obviously was written by by former guest on The Royal Report, Omid Scobie, and also Caroline Durant.
1: Yes, and not by (laughs) Megan.
2: Not by Megan. And actually, Omid has another book out, which maybe we'll get to talk about on another episode of the show. Oh,
1: yes. I'm so excited about that. Anywho, back to our story about Samantha. (laughs) Megan's attorney, Michael Crump, initially responded to the lawsuit saying... This baseless and absurd lawsuit is just a continuation of a pattern of disturbing behavior. We will give it the minimum attention necessary, which is all it deserves. And in the months since, Megan has tried to get the case dismissed. An initial motion for dismissal filed earlier this year was reportedly denied in June. Samantha filed an amendment to her complaint, which Megan is once again asking a judge to dismiss. And in recent weeks, there's been even more back and forth on the case. Jack, is it just me or is this the lawsuit that never ends over allegations that are really just a publicity stunt for Samantha?
2: I think Megan is definitely going to be looking forward to the day that the judge does actually just give a definitive ruling on whether he sees anything at all in this case. Um, Some of the statements that Samantha's team are saying are defamatory, are I would say, charitably difficult to see in those terms. So, for example, Megan said she was brought up as an only child. And Samantha's team are saying that that is a statement that they're not half siblings. Um, Obviously, I, I would feel that most people have the right to say how they perceived their upbringing. I mean, I think the the phrase brought up within that sentence is the key one. If you're talking about how you were brought up, that contextualizes the later factual statement in the context of the way that your parents raised you. So Megan's case is she's saying, you know, she only lived with Samantha until the age of two um, and after that point didn't see much of her. Um, so in other words, she grew up in a household where she was the only child. So that is the experience of being an only child.
1: Yes. And um, the memory, because most of us, I don't know about you, Jack, I don't remember life before two. And I don't know if that's because I've drank too much champagne in my life or I'm going through dementia, <laughs> but honestly, I think it's just like the case with most people. We don't really remember life before two because that's how cognitive development works. And so
2: exactly for Megan yeah.
1: to remember life before age two, she's just not going to. So she doesn't remember anything other than being raised as an only child.
2: Exactly. Yeah. There are, I think you're right. There are neurological reasons why um, the brain doesn't hold on to memories, but I think before the age of four. So, yeah, comfortably, she's, you know, she's kind of forgotten it, all her memories of actually living with Samantha. Samantha says she helped Megan with her homework and took her to school. Megan's team say that's not true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like you say, this has been going on for months with no clear indication of whether there's anything here um, at all. There was a point when. Samantha was building the case around this uh, this email that Megan sent to Jason, giving him briefing notes to pass on to the authors of Finding Freedom, and that's still relevant background to the case. But Samantha is no longer asserting that that email itself was defamatory. Yeah. So um, we're at the stage where it's it's quite heavily tied to the Oprah Winfrey interview. I mean, it really didn't actually say all that much factually about Samantha, and Samantha's name change, you know, is a matter of record i think uh you know i remember her being initially known as samantha grant when uh this the story kind of first blew up and i think the media were perfectly happy to call her samantha markle because it, it made sense for the purpose of the story mm-hmm. but um, i struggle to see how samantha's gonna get that ruled as defamatory what megan said about it megan said that she changed her name as soon as as soon as the relationship with harry emerged
1: Well, Samantha has made it clear that a lot of this is really about the book sales of her so-called memoir or her so-called tell-all, the diary of Princess Pushy's sister, which if book sales are not happening for you, you can't blame your sister for that. That's on you, Samantha. You have talked to the press plenty, and you've done the best you can to publicize your book. You are everywhere all the time. If people don't want to buy your book, that's on you.
2: There's also a lot that took place before the book ever came out. I mean, the book came out in January 2021, so it actually predated Oprah by a couple of months. So it had a it had a full couple of months before Oprah even aired. And even then, the stuff that Megan said about Samantha and Oprah was only in the bonus clips that were released the following day. It wasn't actually in the substantive Oprah in, in, interview that aired on CBS on the Sunday. It was released the following day. Um, and yeah, I mean, Samantha, Samantha was well known to the world by January 2021 and had fallen out with various sections of the media. Um, she had a big argument with The Sun in uh, in kind of 2016, 2017. Um, so yeah I mean what she's trying to say is basically Megan framed her as a liar and because she'd been framed as a liar the book failed and therefore she lost income and is entitled to damages Um, she went through a whole process leading up to the wedding and afterwards where she was doing a lot of media and a lot of interviews and that whole period in 2018 obviously had a massive impact on the way that all those media organisations received her and how they felt about her and all of that predates everything that's you know That's pertinent in this case. it pred- All of that predates both Finding Freedom and the Oprah interview.
1: Yeah. Samantha did all this to herself. She is, I don't even think ambulance chaser is the right word for it because Megan and Harry are not a car accident in my opinion, but she is trying to chase the attention. She's trying to chase the publicity. And most of us just don't care. Most of us know that that's all she is. That's how I see her. And I know I'm not alone in that.
2: So I think the judge here really needs to give an indication whether he thinks this case can go anywhere. If it does, if he rules that it can proceed to trial... Honestly, like that could get quite awkward for Meghan because of disclosure. Samantha will try to get every single document, every single private email, every single text message that she can get her hands on <laughs> and will try to call all kinds of witnesses who could be very difficult for Meghan like her former former Kensington Palace Communications Secretary, Jason Knauf. Oh, um, <laughs> if she can do that, it's going to be an unpleasant experience for Meghan. Um, but the judge just needs to decide... Is this going that way? You know, what road are we going down here? Are we going down the kind of nightmare scenario of resuming the uh, disclosure process that was terminated when Meghan won her previous lawsuit against the Mail on Sunday? Obviously, regular listeners will already know a huge amount about that. Um, If Samantha can engineer those circumstances, Meghan might well, Megan will have to decide whether she can endure more of that kind of slow torture of trip, trip, trip of her private information coming into the public domain or whether she would rather just tap out and pay Samantha some money and make it all go away.
1: Oh, God. Can you imagine paying Samantha when Samantha has made it her whole job to just sully your name in the press? Oh,
2: I kind of think every single atom of Megan's body will not want to pay Samantha a single solitary (laughs) cent.
1: (laughs) I don't want her to pay up either. Like, (sighs) If anybody should be suing for defamation, it should be Megan against Samantha for everything Samantha said about her.
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that um, Samantha will probably have seen that Mail on Sunday case and maybe even also seen a little bit of the kind of uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp um, car crash as well. And just, you know, like these cases are, really awful often for both sides um, and you know if she yeah i mean like it could be it could be quite unpleasant for megan if she can't get it thrown out but you look at it you look at everything in the case and i mean it doesn't it doesn't strike me most of the claims there and the allegations there don't strike me as meeting the basic benchmark of being defamatory in the first place irrespective of you know an argument over the facts so my Gut instincts is that this currently is probably heading for being chucked out, and I actually thought it was stronger when she filed her first claim. Um, when she, when a part of it was tied around this email that Megan had sent Jason. So what basically happened was, um, <coughs> so finding freedom was in its infancy. Um, Probably people have heard about it now because it was the bombshell royal biography of summer 2020 that caused a tidal wave of headlines on both sides of the Atlantic. Back then, it didn't even have a title yet. And so Meghan and Harry authorised Jason Knaff, who was then their uh, communications secretary to sit down with the authors Omer ago and Caroline Durand and give them some information as a background briefing to what they would write. Um, and within that briefing email, there was some material about Samantha, including suggesting that basically she was a bad mother who had had her children taken from her. Um, so that was what was, that was originally one of the allegations in Samantha's case. Now, obviously, if that statement were untrue, it would be highly defamatory. The truth of it Honestly, I'm not going to get involved. I don't know Samantha's background with her children, and I'm not particularly inclined to go there. And it's no longer an allegation within the case. Um, but that, you know, that is, were it not true, potentially defamatory. Where we are now with the case, I mean, stuff like Megan feeling like she grew up as an only child. I, I don't see how that is going to go anywhere as a defamatory statement.
1: No, I I'm kind of surprised it hasn't all been thrown out already. I I really am.
2: Well, the judge has, So, I mean, you mentioned that there was that Megan's initial um, motion to dismiss was rejected. I mean, it was only rejected procedurally because Samantha was amending her complaint. So really, the judge has given no indication yet on whether he sees there being life in this case or not. And like you said, it's been rumbling on for months now. So I think, you know, given how thin some of the claims feel, I think that we need to kind of Cut to, the, cut to the final chapter here and just get a, get a decision from the judge about whether he sees there being anything in any of this. And then if it's not a going concern, we can just all get on with our lives. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if it is, then obviously the next chapter resumes and then Megan's going to have to think quite seriously about what to do next.
1: But you know who is not going on with our lives? yet another one of Megan's half-siblings, her half-brother, Tom Markle Jr. He's completely in the same corner as Samantha. And he was just recently on GB News saying that he had seen snippets of the book Revenge, which we've talked about at length on this show. This is the book that's essentially a takedown of the Sussexes. Uh, and Tom Markle Jr. said, Tom Bauer, I think you did a fantastic spot-on job with the book. So he's clearly doing the same thing as Samantha. He's taking sides. He is all about trying to depict Meghan in the media as uh, unreliable, as a problem, as, um, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to the monarchy. So oh God, between Samantha and Tom, these two, worst half siblings in the world,
2: it's really interesting that Tom, so Tom Jr. has basically subbed in for Tom Thomas Sr., Megan's father, after Megan's uh, father uh, was taken to hospital after experiencing a stroke earlier in the year. So Thomas Markle has... Uh, the, Megan's father has not been able to speak, uh, certainly not to the point where he could do an interview since then. And that is why we now have her half-brother doing much more media than he was doing before. So it does feel like there's a desire within the Markle family for there to be a constant media presence um, chipping away at Megan uh, throughout the year. So he one, another thing he said is that Thomas Markle Sr., Is um is making a a good recovery and he is regaining his speech, so we'll probably have have him uh, return to the hot seat fairly soon. Um, and obviously there are outlets in Britain that will no doubt happily give him the microphone for a period of time. So we might, yeah, we might go back to seeing Thomas Markle Senior doing his regular interviews about Meghan again shortly as well. (sighs) Well,
1: all I have to say is, Meghan, I understand why you had to put some distance between you and the side of the family. They are terrible. If, if there was a whole side of my family who made their living just appearing on TV saying bad things about me and filing lawsuits against me, yeah, I, I, I would pull away from them, too. So, Megan, continue to keep your distance from them, and I personally am rooting for you to have this case thrown out.
2: Alright, we're going to take a quick break but before we do, just a reminder to rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows and when we're back, the Wales Brothers face off with their critics What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
1: Or the friends you find along the way?
2: Hi, everyone. And we're back with Harry and William being taken down a notch by their critics. Harry by Justice Samuel Alito of the US Supreme Court and William by football fans in the UK. For all the American listeners, that would be soccer.
1: (laughs) Yes. uh, Let's begin with Prince Harry. Justice Alito, who full disclosure, I cannot stand, wrote the decision to repeal abortion rights in June. And in July, Prince Harry gave a speech to the United Nations for Nelson Mandela Day, in which he said, from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom. Uh, We talked about that on a previous episode, Jack. And um, then last week, Justice Alito In a speech at a so-called religious freedom conference, said he was wounded, quote unquote, wounded by Prince Harry comparing his decision to the war in Ukraine.
2: Now, Alito did a little bit of playing to the crowd here, I think, and he got a good laugh from his audience when he mentioned Prince Harry, Um, but obviously it all leaked um, uh, online and the video appeared on social media. Democratic representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wrote on Twitter, remember, it was Alito's opinion that leaked, referring to the conservative majority's draft opinion. Um, on the overruling of Roe v. Wade. Um, That fact, paired with his politicised remarks below, should be alarming to anyone, she said. The Supreme Court is in a legitimacy crisis. Chief Justice Roberts has a responsibility to share the progress and results of Scotus's leak investigation. So that was her take on it. And political author Jonathan Alter uh, agreed with her, basically, and said this guy is drunk on his own power. He got exactly as many votes as... Da da Prince Harry. (laughs) Kristen, what do you make of all this?
1: Well, I agree fully with AOC and Alter on this. Alito should be acting as a fair-minded interpreter of the law, not as a political pundit. Supreme Court justices are not supposed to be working a crowd, uh, taking sides on political issues. They're supposed to come across as fair-minded, but he has clearly taken sides In this latest speech, and this is not his first time doing this, less than two years ago at a Federalist Society event, Alito delivered a speech complaining about public safety restrictions during the pandemic. He complained about marriage equality. He complained about reproductive rights and about five sitting U.S. senators, all of whom happened to be Democrats. And then just last fall in a speech at Notre Dame Law School, he openly criticized American journalists. And, I mean, come on, attacking journalists? Jack, you and I? Why would anybody attack us? Why?
2: And has he not ever heard of never complain, never explain, Kristen? <laughs> um, <laughs> But seriously, though, I mean, this does make him look a bit what in Britain we might call a little bit low rents. Like, why is he <laughs> a Supreme Court justice? Why does he's wounded by Prince Harry having a bit of a go at his decision? I mean, it, it makes him honestly look a little fragile.
1: It does. And, and Prince Harry never even named Alito and he never even said the words abortion, Roe or Wade in his speech. He didn't say any of those things.
2: He comes across as very thin-skinned and it is very undermining to the Supreme Court and to his position. I mean, Supreme Court justices should be above getting involved in this kind of thing. I mean, it's very difficult to imagine a judge in Britain um, giving a speech in such kind of, uh, yeah, such openly, such open terms about being, about the effect that it's had on him. Like, Prince Harry Harry didn't get into the details. There was no personal attack. He he didn't smear Alito personally. Um, He's in simply said that he didn't agree with the decision. Obviously, he said it in strong terms, likening it, likening it to the war in Ukraine. Um, but it should not be wounding to a Supreme Court justice. And in all honesty, they say that if you can't do the crime, don't do... If you can't do the time, don't do the crime. In a similar vein, if you can't have people debating your decisions, then you should not be on the Supreme Court. Obviously, a decision like that is going to be debated. It's going to be debated at a high level. Um, Harry didn't say anything too different to what Meghan had already said in um, She obviously gave a newspaper interview in which she actually condemned the decision in much stronger terms. And she said that Harry and Meghan had both had a guttural reaction when they saw uh, the way that things were going.
1: Yeah. And some might say, oh, yeah, well, Alito was within his rights to, you know, throw Harry under the bus. Harry's not even an American. What right does he have to have any thoughts on this decision? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. He lives in the U.S. His wife and children are Americans. He has every right to criticize this decision. And also Alito and the conservative judges, this was unprecedented. They decided to rewrite law not because there was a case in the court, but just because they felt like it. And I cannot believe that Alito would be this upset that he's being criticized for this when what he and the conservatives did was so completely terrible.
2: I thought also thought it was really interesting that he mentioned other international leaders as well and um, kind of appeared affronted by people like Boris Johnson getting involved in criticising the decision. Um, described, you know, He almost implied that Boris Johnson's massive fall from grace, which has an actual fact been rumbling on since December, January might be a product of him expressing a negative view about Rosie. Wade. He <laughs> kind of said, <laughs> like, oh, look what happened to Johnson. He actually describes Johnson as though he's already the former prime minister, which is not strictly true. He is still the prime minister of britain until the conservative party elect a replacement um so it's a, it's a strange thing really and um I think America is, I hate to say it to you guys, uh, love America as a country, but you're, you know, you're, this decision is extremely visible on the world stage. And I don't think Alito is making things any better in that regard. You know, everybody in across Europe and, um, you know, and the world would have seen this decision and people are going to have very strong opinions on it. And those opinions are not going to be a product of anything that Alito has to say is the reality, the way that people are going to feel about Roe v. Wade is going to be a product of their opinions on abortion. Um, um, so I don't think Alito kind of sounding off and and venting, which is basically what he was venting, wasn't he, letting off steam, I don't think is going to help America's cause, even if it was a case of trying to sell this decision to the world. Um, I don't think Alito did that at all.
1: Should he even be selling his decision to the world at all, Jack? He is a justice. I already said this. He's not a politician. It's not his job to be giving these kinds of speeches. It's not his job to be currying favor with the far right why he is doing any of this is just, it's so objectionable already. And I I just, nothing he's doing here is acceptable to me. None of it. (laughs) Being wounded by Harry, not acceptable. Giving speeches at these organizations, not acceptable. Uh, Rolling back Roe v. Wade, not acceptable. All of this is unacceptable. And you're on the wrong side of history, Mr. Alito. And Harry is on the right side of history.
2: So, my one quick final question, then, Kristen, to you is where does America go from here?
1: Oh, my God. I, You know what? M- maybe we elect Megan to be president and then everything gets better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, be careful, though, Kristen, because uh, Tom Markle Jr. has said that he would come to Britain if, if, uh, if Megan were to be elected president. So, uh, you then know, he's frankly, your problem. We may have to have a conversation. <laughs> we may have to have a conversation. <laughs>
1: All right, Jack, we do also have to get to the fact that Prince William has also recently been criticized, or more accurately, we should say, he has been booed. Jack, tell us about
2: that. So the background is that the uh, England women's team, uh, women's soccer team, who call themselves the Lionesses, are the European champions.
1: Yeah, first, it like Beckham, ladies.
2: It's the first piece of silverware that um, England's brought home of you know any any gender um, any international trophy to the England team since 1966. So it has been a big, big, big event, and everybody's very happy about it over here. Um, but yeah, William was a, a pub in Sheffield booed him when he came on screen. <laughs> And I was uh, talking, uh, I was messaging with one of the people who was in the pub at the time who said basically it was an anti-establishment feeling that Prince William now basically is seen as a symbol of the establishment. Um, and Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, would, uh, Rishi Sunak being the chancellor, former chancellor, current leadership candidate, uh, would have been booed in the same way. But obviously, from William's point of view, he probably wouldn't really want to be lumped in with uh, divisive figures like Boris. So this is the second time in several months that this has happened to William. It happened during the FA Cup final in May as well. Um, Posing a question for William, how seriously does he have to take this? Is this going to be a big recurring problem for him? Can he just shrug it off?
1: Well, I mean, maybe he needs to just take a little bit of a step back. Maybe just let the sports... Fans enjoy the sports and I, I don't know if he needs to be down on the field hugging players and so on. I, I just, I don't know. Like maybe just sit in the stands and clap. <laughs> maybe just, <laughs> so that, maybe just be with the proletariat and stop, you know, trying to make yourself <laughs> the center of attention by going on the field.
2: It's an interesting thing that the uh, the particular football fan who I spoke to uh, basically said, you know, we're going through a cost-of-living crisis. People are struggling to pay their bills. You've got uh, energy bills expected to hit 360 pounds a month uh, in January, which is a huge amount of money. And they kind of saw William as a privileged aristocrat who um, doesn't have the problems that they have, and that they were having, that the country was having a moment, you know, a moment of jubilation and trying to forget the hardship that is coming down the line, and felt that he was intruding on that. Um, Now, I suppose we should offer a bit of balance, which is that obviously not everybody felt this way about William. And some people were very happy to, uh, to have him there. Some of the players clearly pleased to get a hug off. Uh, of the Duke of Cambridge. Um, But the uh, the interesting thing is young people, we've probably talked about this on the show before, young people are starting to see the monarchy slightly differently and they're starting to see William slightly differently. And this was quite a young crowd in this pub. Um, So we will have to see, I think, whether this becomes like a long-term problem that grows and grows or whether it's something William can shrug off. Um, I think that this particular moment in history is a time when privilege has never been less fashionable so i I personally think william should try to think about whether there's something he can do to address this issue
1: yeah um and just know when you should be the center of attention and when you shouldn't be the center of attention (laughs) and this is definitely a case where don't don't make yourself the center of attention just sit in the stands and clap along with everybody else cheer for your team Congratulate them online. Maybe after the event, uh, quietly visit them. You know, in the locker room and shake their hands or something. You know, y- you don't have to go right out there, on all the TV cameras and uh, be front and center. You don't need to do that. All righty. But on that note. We're going to take one more quick break, but before we do, a reminder to follow us on Twitter. Jack is at Jack underscore Royston. I'm at Kristen Meinzer. We always have royal updates there. And of course, we also have Jack's latest stories for Newsweek, which are always great. He always has the inside scoop. When we're back, Prince Charles once again finds himself in hot water over charity donations. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, we are back with one last story and you're going to have to forgive us if it sounds like we are a broken record because we have dealt with variations on this story a number of times on the show before Jack explain.
2: Yes, so we're talking about Prince Charles and yet another charity scandal, but this time it's not cash for titles and it's not money being stuffed into suitcases. <laughs> um, it is, in fact, donations from the Bin Laden family, specifically the half-brothers of the international terrorist Osama Bin Laden, uh, mastermind of the 9-11 terror attack. More on that in a little bit.
1: Yes, the Sunday Times revealed that the Prince of Wales's charitable fund received £1 million in 2013, from Bakr bin Laden, patriarch of the wealthy Saudi family, and his brother Shafiq. There is no suggestion that either brother sponsored or supported acts of terrorism, and the family has disowned Osama bin Laden. They did that almost 20 years ago. But I got to say, Jack, this still is not a good look.
2: Yeah, the Sunday Times are reporting that Charles was quite vociferously advised, bordering on told. Uh, not to go ahead with this, um, which uh, has been denied. Um, but if that's true, I mean, the whole question that has been lurking over this entire scandal, which now, I mean, is approaching its year anniversary, um, is Charles's judgment, basically. You know why did he do all of these things? Um, why did he allow his the chief executive? Or how did a situation develop where the chief executive of one of his charities um, was trying to help uh, the a tycoon who had donated to his charity uh, gain citizenship and a, and a a title? I mean, it's it's being investigated by the police. You know, you've got a future king of Britain, the next king of Britain, is currently the subject of a police investigation into one of his charities. It's a terrible situation to be in. And a lot of all of these things that are happening arise from just a really terrible decision that Charles made, which was to um, begin a doomed project to basically uh, rehabilitate a place called Dumfries House. Um, And it was a financially unsound scheme And I think everything that happened since then has basically arisen out of bad decision-making by Charles. Um, So obviously, the uh, the various efforts are being made to distance him from all of these allegations. And he will no doubt try to wash his hands over all of it. And other people, I'm sure, will wind up carrying the can. Already the chief executive of his charity, Michael Fawcett, has resigned. Um, But ultimately... He has to be the master of his domain and he has to create the culture within all these organizations. And there have just been so many chapters to this story now that really this has to be about the culture that existed at his charity, which he has to take responsibility for.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, Jack, I don't think this is the last we're going to hear about this. It seems like every couple of weeks there is another huge revelation about something that he did wrong with his charities. So- If these three things came out, what else is under the surface that we don't know about that's dating back 10 or 20 years? I I would not be surprised if there's lots, lots more that's going to come out in the coming weeks.
2: And you've also got to ask where this stuff is coming from. I mean, somebody clearly is drip-feeding the Sunday Times, um, <laughs> who have uh, Gabriel Pogrand at the Sunday Times, has been on top of all of these allegations from the word go. Um, and somebody is basically waking up every month, you know, once a month and with an itch to scratch and ringing, ringing him up and giving him something new. Uh, like what is going on here? Who is doing this? Some, Charles Jason! obviously. <laughs> Imagine, imagine if he's just sitting there, a master of puppets, <laughs> <Jason> Cunha, <laughs> taking people out, leprechaun censor.
1: Yeah, drag down the Sussexes. Maybe he's just, you know, now it's time to drag down Charles because, you just
2: know, open the path for William.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. We don't really know that Jason is doing this. I'm joking mostly. <laughs>
2: Um, but I mean someone is like who's doing this who honestly is doing this somebody clearly thinks that Charles should not be king I mean that's the only explanation that they think that Charles should not be king and that this stuff needs to get sorted out and um Charles, I mean, right now, there's not a huge sign that it's affecting his opinion polling too seriously. But that police investigation, even if Charles doesn't get charged, if Michael Fawcett gets charged and prosecuted and potentially convicted of a criminal offence, I mean, that is going to cause a major, major headache for Charles. And right at the exact time when, you know, it's not going to be that long before he becomes king. Mm -hmm. Um, If he does become king, he will, of course, be immune from prosecution um but uh if it happen if it blows up right before then it's not completely impossible that he could be investigated himself
1: yeah now you said whoever's doing these leaks probably does not want him to be king that does mean a lot of people Who could it be? The Queen? Andrew? I was kidding before that it was Jason, but it could be a lot of other people. Let's be real here. There are a lot of people who don't want Charles to be king. So all joking aside, lots of people don't want him to be king. (laughs)
2: I'm, I'm picturing Andrew, Beatrice, Eugenie and Sarah all sat around a table at Royal Lodge <laughs> and I think and <laughs> working out which bits are released next. And I'm picturing, picturing poor old Gabriel at the Sunday Times basically having to take a shower after every time Prince Andrew gives him a call.
1: <laughs> oh, well, with that good laugh, shall we call it an Jack?
2: I think it's best for both of us that we call it a day.
1: (laughs) Well, that means that's it for this episode of The Royal Report.
2: Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal.
1: Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Just kidding. I'm Kristen Meinzer.
2: And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And a curtsy to you
2: all. Hey, that's my line.